Welcome to Recloseted Radio, the top-rated podcast for slow fashion founders. Whether you're thinking about launching a slow fashion brand, scaling an existing sustainable apparel company, or looking to make a brand more environmentally friendly, we have you covered. I'm your host, Selena Ho, and each week I'm sharing my proven strategies or interviewing industry experts. Without any further ado, let's get started. Welcome back to Recloseted Radio. In this week's episode, I am so excited because you're in for a real treat. I have invited on one of my all-star clients, and her name is Berkeley. Berkeley is the founder and creator of Past Life the Collective, a small batch sustainable clothing label in Denver, Colorado. The brand just newly launched in September and became available to shop online at pastlifethecollective.com. Berkeley has shared so many great tips on launching a brand during COVID and how much work she's done over the past year and a half to really have such a successful launch. And so make sure you have a notebook and pen ready. And without any further ado, let's get into the interview. Welcome to Recloseted Radio, Berkeley. To kick things off, can you walk us through your background and why you started in sustainable fashion? Yeah, definitely. My background is no background in fashion, honestly. Um, The only fashion-related things I did growing up was when I was young, I was super creative and I used to like cut apart jeans and sew beads on them and spray paint them. My grandma was my biggest um, fan. But then I got really serious about sports and kind of focused on being a Division One college athlete and put that creative side of me to the rest. And then in my adult life, I had become really passionate about climate um, issues and started really thinking about ways as consumers, uh, we can have a really large impact on protecting the climate. And that is how Path Life uh, came to be born. That's awesome. And as you were getting started, did you ever think that, oh no, I don't have a fashion background, so I'm wondering if I can do this? Like, did any of that ever come up? Totally. Yeah. I mean, all the time. I When I first thought of the idea, I was like, how can I go work for a company? Or even like, I wish I would just went and got a degree in this. And then as I did more research, you know, just kind of like meditated more on this whole thing, I realized like there is no rule book and you can learn and become whatever you want to do in so many different ways. And Honestly, I feel like nobody really knows what they're doing and you just keep taking one step after the other and just kind of having the faith to like go for it and take that plunge. I um, was listening to an episode of How I Built This on NPR and it was like some statistic that said only 1% of entrepreneurs actually do their idea. And I was like, okay, I want to be that 1%. I was like, lots of people think of ideas, but I want to be that 1% that actually like dives in head first and just goes for it. 
Yeah, I love that. I think that it's so true. Like so many people have all these ideas and they never do it. And then you look back and you're like, oh, I should have done this. And, you know, life is too short not to do things you want to do. I agree with that completely. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So you learned more about the climate that really pushed you to start past life. And so when did you officially start it? Do you have an official start date? So I fully thought of the idea of past life to collective when I was meditating. Um, it, this was last July. I had originally, so July of 2019. And during that time, I had originally been planning to move to Australia in October um, and had no idea what I was going to do there, but that's what I, in my mind I was going to do. Um, but then I thought of this idea and thought of the name, everything, and just was like, I have to do this. Went into my mom's, like went to my mom's office and I was like, I have this idea. You have to listen to me. And both my parents were like, here we go again, Berkeley, like, no, you can't get out of here. And I was like, no, I'm dead serious about it. And so I took all the money that I had saved to move to Australia to just stop working and spend the next two and a half months literally just researching and calling people and just seeing whoever I could talk to. And then I'd say like I filed for for a past life to be an LLC last August. I think that that really speaks though to kind of how scrappy and resourceful you were at the beginning because I remember, so you thought about it in July when you were meditating, which is awesome. I think a lot of great ideas come during meditation. And um, so that happened in July, you started researching and doing things on your own. And then I guess we got connected, but as you were researching, like, what do you think was really helpful for people that maybe were in your shoes about a year ago and also just got that idea? A couple of things were really helpful. Um, one was I reached out to every sustainable brand that I knew about just to see if somebody would talk to me. Most of them did not have the time to do that, which I understand all of them are small teams, um, but one woman did give me the time of day and she let me come and shadow her in LA for five days. And that just really, yeah. So, and her brand is called Whimsy and Row, and that really awakened me and gave me eyes on things that I, you know, didn't even know what they were. With doing all of the research, like I discovered you, and again, it's it's these phone calls that you know kind of put you out of your comfort zone, especially when you have no idea what you're talking about. And you want people to like think you're legit, but you're kind of being really honest and just like arriving with people and having conversations from exactly where you are. And, you know, probably for the people that I spoke to, most of them on the other end did not think that uh, past life would really come to life. I guess I've proved them wrong. And for the people that have stuck with me since then, I've proved them right. So, yeah. Yeah. So initially our conversations, I thought like, I was like, oh, this girl knows what she's doing. She really knows her goals. I was like, I was really excited. But I think that sometimes when you are going through it yourself, you can kind of doubt yourself. But it's just kind of interesting to hear that because I thought you had your stuff together. As an entrepreneur, a lot of the time you, 
your ideas by yourself. You don't have someone along with you. And for me, like, I didn't know anyone. I'm from Colorado. Like, fashion isn't really a thing here. So I felt very in the dark about a lot of things. And was like, I have these ideas. I don't really know. And then when I'm talking to people, it's like, you kind of just have to go with your gut. Because like I said in the beginning, like, no one really knows. You just kind of, like, roll with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Okay, so I'm curious, how did you come up with the name Past Life the Collective? Because I think that lots of people are struggling nowadays to come up with a nice name and then all the domains are taken. So how did you come up with your name? I came up with my name um, because of the fabric that we use. When I came up with the whole brand idea, I knew that I wanted to use dead stock fabric, which I can describe. So dead stock fabric is um, a term in the fashion industry where a fabric is deemed dead. When a fashion brand or label goes to production, they make fabric and the fabric that they make, they generally don't use all of it. They'll only use like 80 to 90% of it. And that leftover fabric is what is called dead stock fabric. And that dead stock fabric is either burned, put in landfills, or ends up in warehouses. So we use dead stock fabric. We get it from these warehouses in Los Angeles. And essentially, we're giving these fabrics that are deemed dead a new life. So that's why it's past life, the collective, because they had a previous life and we've made a new one. The reason that there's the collective on the end um, is because... Being pastlife.com was not going to happen for me because it's pretty common and definitely something I really learned in, from the beginning of starting this business was how difficult trademarking can be and definitely for other business people who are trying to think about their name, doing your due diligence and research beforehand what is always worth it because then you might have to switch things up. I'm very happy with what we've come up with now, but um, yeah, for a little bit, I was a little stressed about it. Yeah, totally. I really like the story behind the past life. So thanks for sharing that. And then, okay. So you started around July, August of 2019. And then when did you officially launch? I know that this was a whole thing with COVID (laughs) and we were kind of working through it, but Yeah, when did you want to launch? And then maybe when did you actually launch? And what was it like trying to launch during these times? Good old COVID. Um, So we, I had originally planned to launch end of April, beginning of May. And because life happens, I basically at, at like the end of March this year, was chatting with you and, you know, just chatting with family members and people. And I just really did not feel like it was aligned at all to be launching my clothing brand. When people are losing their basic needs, I was not about to um, create a call to purchase clothing, even though the mission behind the brand is more than just clothing. And instead of launching the the clothes, we decided to just pivot and we made masks. We made we just made 500 and we used leftover scraps from our production. So it's fun because they're all in like really cute patterns. And so we made masks and then we sold out of those pretty quickly. And then 
Meanwhile, I was already in full production for my fall winter collection. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to hold all this product and then launch everything collectively together in mid-September. But even, so we just launched, but even with it being mid-September, COVID and my supply chain, even though I do everything in the United States and mostly all of it is done in Denver, still has had some delays because you know, my sewing facility had to go half capacity and I get my labels from LA and they're half capacity. And so it's just been really interesting trying to run a brand and have the customer service to people while also being kind and gentle to where I do production and understanding that they don't have control and, and the label place doesn't have control either. And that we're really just all needing to be empathetic human beings right now. Yeah, totally. And I love that you pivoted quite quickly to mass, but you know, you make it sound like, oh, this happened and then I did this and it was fine. And I'm sure there was a lot of ups and downs in between. So I guess for other businesses that need to pivot or change things, like, do you have any recommendations? Like, what do you think was helpful for you in that time? That is such a great point. Um, I did make it seem like we just flipped the switch. That was not the case at all. I was really sad and mopey at first. And I just like had no idea what to do, honestly. It took a couple people being in my ear to recommend masks to me. It was not my idea. At first, I was very stubborn about it. I'm like, no, like, I don't want to do that. I don't, you know. And then once I kind of sat with it, Um, And I also started journaling and because I had this extra time on my hands during COVID, I started doing like other creative projects, which then sort of enlightened me into being like, okay, we should do math. Not like this is, this is not going to go away right now. And also like, this is going to help me feel fulfilled. And like, I'm doing something and helping people. We didn't keep the masks at an expensive price. Like I, my margins were not great on it. And that was really not the point of it. Um, And so I think for businesses at times when you do see the world as you have to pivot, instead of looking at like what other brands are doing, I would really recommend getting creative in some other way that maybe inspires you to do something that's not being done. Time I hadn't seen other brands like using leftover fabric to make masks, and we also made our masks medical grade, which I didn't see other brands really doing either. I think just like really focusing on what differentiates your brand and what makes your brand, and pivoting in a way that feels like authentic to you. Yeah, that's great advice. I love that. Thanks for being so transparent because, yeah, I feel like a lot of those podcasts, like people are just like, yeah, it was great. And I changed and, you know, it all went well. <laughs> so true. That's like, I feel, I, I know you like to listen to NBR also, but for those listening, um, like there's all those podcasts that are going on during the pandemic that was like about how these businesses were created during the great recession and they're so amazing. And then like now there's podcasts coming out about brands and um, companies pivoting but and and people were always like the greatest companies 
were made during the recession, Berkeley, like this is your version of the recession. And that pressure was not helping me because I was just like, I don't know what to do. And so I really don't think you should beat yourself up about it. And also it's like, you can't figure out a way to pivot. That's okay because time is constantly pivoting and something will come to you eventually. You know, you just have to be patient. Mm-hmm. Totally. Could not have said that better. So you've had a really whirlwind year. I guess it's been a year and a half almost now, which is crazy. But what are maybe some things you're really proud of accomplishing? Because I think you've done so much and so much has happened. So it's always nice to reflect. It is nice to reflect. I was really thinking about this yesterday, actually, about even just from my personal standpoint, like the the person I was a year and a half ago. Um, I feel like I have just gotten a Harvard business degree in the past year and a half, um, which is amazing. Um, And I think just like, I'm really proud of creating a business that puts people and the planet before profit and a business that now feels super aligned with mainstream media. But at the time, it was still like, I don't know if this is going to work. Now, a lot of businesses are trying to be sustainable and a lot of businesses are starting to focus on ethics. I'm proud to be a really transparent business that from top to bottom, bottom to top, I will tell you the truth about anything and you can genuinely feel that we are doing the right thing. Yeah, I think it's rare nowadays, right, to have such a transparent brand that genuinely just cares so much and you do a really good job of that with Past Life. Thank you. And like, yeah, I think the growth that you've had over the past year and a half has been amazing too. Like just being able to see it firsthand. So yeah, really proud of you. Thank you. Me too. It's definitely wild. Like I'm a person that's very honest and um, forthcoming with people. And you know, a year, like like I said, a year and a half ago, I was going to move to Australia to be like a surf bum. And now I'm like having a business and all these things. I'm such an adult. It's wild. yeah and going back to your first collection how did you get inspiration for it because I know sometimes people when they're designing their first collection there's a lot of pressure to go out with a bang and be different and you know how did you get inspiration and get creativity for it so when I first started Path Life I reached out to an old friend of mine um, from middle school who I had not spoken to but I knew that she went to design school and she was making uh, like handbags for fun at the time. And I just reached out and I was like, hey, are you still interested in working in fashion? I know there's not a lot of opportunity for that in Colorado, but let me know. And she was like, yes, I am. And then I was like, okay, great. I have this idea. I need help though, because I am, I don't have a design background. And so she came along for the ride with me and Instead of designing clothes first, because we are a brand that does, or a brand that uses dead stock fabric, we went to go find fabric first that then inspired us for the design. And so we went to LA and we went to this warehouse that was like five stories high and fabric to the ceiling everywhere and just got scissors and went on and cut swatches and then sat on the floor of this place 
with the hundreds of swatches and we we're like okay like which ones do we like what could we see working with what and then basically from there we were like okay we really want to make this sailor pants um like a fitted sailor pant and picked out the fabric that we thought would go best with that and then i really wanted to make like a midi dress and we picked out like rayons that went really well with that and then we also were like we gotta have a little basic top to go with these pants and so we found fabrics that worked with that and then from there we really focused on thinking about like silhouettes that are you know flattering to a woman's body and things that would make people feel beautiful did you just kind of know like which pieces you wanted to make or was it just over time like kind of what spoke to you i don't want to sound like it, it was easy because that's not how i want to come across but truly with what we've created and and maybe it's like the chemistry between her and i but it was very quick that we knew what we wanted to make Sometimes I think that does happen with people because it is like, you know, you think about this day in and day out and just like you just have ideas kind of left, right and center. So, yeah, I think that makes sense. And then talking more about your clothing, can you tell us more about your manufacturing and production? Yes, of course. Um, That was definitely a journey, a huge learning journey throughout the past year and a half. But from the beginning of starting this business, I really wanted to make all the clothes locally in Colorado. I wanted to support my local economy, you know, give support jobs in my city. Um, and so researching to even find what was available here was difficult because there's not a ton of options, but I was really lucky and I discovered this facility called Manist Supply and the woman who owns it really held my hand and you know, now I know what I'm talking about, but at the time, I had really no idea how much work it required. It, re- it requires to make beautiful clothing, and clothing in general. She is completely on board with me for more than just ethical production, but also being zero waste. And, um, you know, she has an open door policy where we can come in whenever. And I love having that like neighborhood connection and, you know, leaving my house and driving 10 minutes to go check out to see how the dress is coming along or whatever. So that's been really great, but it's also, you know, been a huge learning curve and also has just been interesting from a financial perspective, making clothes ethically is expensive and it's hard to figure out how to make your clothing also affordable. Um, when you're making clothes ethically, which just goes back to the fact that it is just a bummer that we have all grown up with and become so accustomed to fast fashion, when really that shouldn't be okay at all because it just means that those people are not paid even close to a livable wage. And that's why we also, um, on our website, break down the cost of every item to show people how much ethical labor costs I love that you're so transparent and it's really helpful to consumers because, yeah, to your point, we've been grown up and accustomed to paying $10 for a t-shirt and $30 for a sweater. And I don't think we ever pause to think about what the actual true cost of that is. And if you're only paying $30, like 
you know, how much does that actually go to the person that sewed it or made it? Yeah, I think it's great. And I know we kind of talk about your margins a lot. And we also talk about your customer's willingness to pay. Yeah, it is something that I, I hope will change as people are more aware of what's going on behind their clothes. Yeah, I agree. I think people will, and you know, this thing and within the industry, and I hope it becomes, you know, a thing for everyone, but just buying, buy less, buy better, and, and learning to love and take care of the clothing that we have. Yeah, totally. And I did want to go into your materials a little bit, but you did already explain that you use primarily dead stock. But in using dead stock, are there things that you have learned? Because, you know, once once you kind of run out of the fabric, you run out. So any tips for folks that might be using dead stock as well? Dead stock fabric is a pain to work with, honestly. I have loved it because I do, you know, that was the whole premise of starting the brand is giving this fabric that was deemed dead a new life however um it's really hard for production teams and seamstresses to work with because every single role is a slightly different fabric content and it's also different widths and lengths so some fabric rolls may be 50 um yards long and you know three feet wide and others may be different. And so it's hard for production to cut out and um, work with. It's just tougher than having fabric that's all the same content, all the same width and all the same length. So that has been a huge learning curve and I feel very bad for my production because I know it's not easy to work with. Um, so I'm so grateful for them. And then also, yeah, with dead stock, part of the beauty of it is that it's limited edition because once it's gone, it's gone forever. However, we've already sold out of some stuff and people will reach out and be like, when is this coming back? And it's like, it's not, you know, the style may come back, but in that exact pattern, it won't. So yeah, that's definitely something that's interesting about it. And I think going forward as a brand and as we continue to grow, um, we'll definitely look to using other sustainable materials because I think there isn't um, a one size fits all or a this is the best one kind of way when it comes to materials for sustainable brands. I think you can argue that there are several and dead stock is one of them, but also you could argue that organic cotton and linens are also, and there's a bunch of others as well too. I think as long as you do your due diligence and you know that whatever material you're using is brand centric and you know, the best that your brand can be using, that's great. Because also dead stock is cheaper than other fabrics. It's by far the, the best part of both. <laughs> our margins and our production is the stuff that our fabric is cheaper and so for new brands using that that's great but then also you know as you grow you have to be i i wasn't excited about expanding my horizons in not using only dead stock um but you know i think again as the brand grows you have to open your mind and um as you learn you can figure out that you can do just more than one thing 
to your point, like you just need to know your values and your brand's values and then just decide accordingly because there's no one right way to do things. There's so many different ways and you can make things unsustainable and you can make things sustainable really depending on how you go about it. So yeah. And thanks for sharing those dead stock tips because I think a lot of people often hear that, yeah, it's cheaper and yeah, you're kind of bringing a new life to quote unquote dead fabric, but it is nice to just hear from your perspective, some of the challenges you went through. Totally. And then switching gears a little bit, I'm curious, uh, what does an average day or an average week look like for you? If, you know, an average day doesn't really ever happen. (laughs) It definitely does not happen ever. I've been trying really hard to figure out how to um, make certain days of the week for certain things, but it's just right now, because honestly, it's a one woman show. You know, every day I wake up and after I do my like morning ritual, I write down a list of everything that has to get done for that day. And I just check it off one by one. And some days it's a lot of things and some days it's not as many. But throughout the day, I'm posting on the social channels, interacting with people on social. I am making sure production is going okay, checking in with that. Maybe I'll have like a fitting or something that I'll need to go to. Planning out social calendars, um, maybe creating like an email to send out. Then also doing reach out to other brands and businesses to see if we can collaborate or maybe do a pop-up. Chatting with influencers, you know, customer service stuff. And then dealing with the financials of all the business and making sure all that stuff's organized, talking to my business consultant. There are a lot of things. And then I'm also constantly trying to think about really how to grow the brand and how to create brand awareness. And I feel like that is really what is like my center focus throughout the day uh, because there are days that I won't get one sale. And then there are days that I get more, but really it's like about how can we bring past life the collective to the people, you know? Yeah. And that's a lot, I think, for one person. And I know we always kind of talk about what's on your plate and your workload and things like that. But how do you take care of yourself? What does maybe your morning routine or evening routine look like? I feel like you're really good at self-care, but I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I, I definitely am really good at self-care. I had like mental health struggles throughout Um, my early 20s that helped me really value um, self-care and now it's something that you know I I make non-negotiable for myself and so a couple things that I do every day is I meditate every day twice a day once in the morning and once at night for 20 minutes which seems like a lot but you know once I've been doing this now for like two and a half years so it's pretty habitual for me now. And then I also really try to have a slightly slower morning. Um, I wake up early so that I can like have a, a little bit of time not on my phone um, and to write down things that I'm grateful for. And then also I um, try to work out like five days a week, sweating and, you know, also that, that 45 minutes, it's really nice to not have your phone. Um, 
And, and so those would be like the most non-negotiable things I do. And then I also just, you know, try to remember to like put my phone down at night sometimes and, you know, try to get in nature and just always constantly trying to remind myself to like reground myself and that yes I am doing a lot of things but like I'm also you know doing my dream job and it's not a big deal you know it's just a clothing brand and the world isn't going to end if I don't get this email done or whatever you know like life goes on. Yeah, I love that you have those non-negotiables. I think that's really important. And I like how you talk. I, I just, I guess I like the fact that your self-care items aren't like, oh, I'm going to a facial and then I'm going to the spa because I feel like self-care can have a really bad rep for being really expensive or like really time consuming. But to your point, it's all about like carving it out in your day and just making it easy and, you know, just like making time for yourself. Yeah, I completely agree. And then. I think for some entrepreneurs starting out, it can be really difficult to figure out what to invest in because obviously there's limited budgets and you want to make sure whatever you invest in has a good return. So did you want to share maybe some of the best investments you've made so far in your business? Yeah, would love to. Um, this is not even because I'm on this podcast, but truly one of the best investments in my business was getting a business consultant. And having just that like person to help guide and educate and um, advise and chat with, especially like I touched on before, when you feel like you're in the dark a lot of the times because you're alone, um, having that and having somebody teach you things um, along the way has just been so helpful and really worth the investment. And then a couple other things that were really worth the investment. I think I originally thought I was going to try to build out my website myself. And I had a dream of building a really beautiful website and um, kind of quickly realized it was going to take me a long time and probably not going to get to the caliber I wanted it to get at to. And so I reached out to a friend of mine who um website development and that also was just really worth it because that's just, it was just a stress taken off my plate um and you never want to make your plate too full because then you know you could crash and burn which is something you know you taught me and something that every entrepreneur should really take to heart because investing in getting something off your plate honestly is is worth it if it's not something you enjoy doing or you're or you're not good at or don't really want to learn um, to the full potential, it's really worth it. Oh, and also getting a bookkeeper, which I just did. And I have saved so much time getting a bookkeeper and I'm so grateful for that. I'm a really big advocate of just delegating and getting things off your plate, especially if you don't like to do it and you can't do it to the caliber that you want to your point. So yeah, I think that's awesome starting to wrap things up but what do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned so far I mean you shared a lot of things but is there any like big takeaways you have in your past one and a half years I think the biggest lesson throughout um, the creation of this business is to listen to your intuition and to remember that there isn't just one single recipe to success there are so many different recipes and 
you can add in like your own special ingredients along the way and and to remember that you know not following the exact path that you think you should is probably going to help you in the long run because it's going to be what makes you different and when you're creating a business you're trying to do something that's new or better so to follow what someone else has already done is not going to make you new or better and then the other thing that i've also learned i know you only ask one but i think this is just important is to really try to not compare yourself to others um, within whatever you're creating because at the end of the day no one is going to wear just one brand of clothing people are going to wear multiple brands people are going to shop secondhand you know they're going to do lots of things and every brand is different so to compare yourself to others when you don't know the story of how they came to life or anything like that is just honestly a waste of energy and you know that energy should be put somewhere else into your business yeah i love that and i think it's good you shared both of those lessons and it's just a good reminder to people right because when you're in your business day in and day out you can forget that bigger picture so i think that's some really good takeaways i agree thank you and then a fun one you can say whatever you want but what was it like to work with me and just with me closeted in general ah it was so great i feel like I I knew my strong suits going into creating this business and I knew like where my weaknesses were and having you I mean you held my hand and and like you said in the beginning like you really watched me bloom over the past year and a half and I and I agree with you like I've really grown into you know this businesswoman where in the beginning I was like freaking out about filling out an Excel spreadsheet which I still kind of freak out about but just anything in general like I feel like it was just fun and easy really digestible information and working with you has really become such a base to all of the knowledge that I have for my business and within this industry yeah it was so great to work with you too and I'm just so proud of you and the brand so yeah it's been great and then just a couple last questions so do you have any other tips or advice for slow fashion founders I think you've said a lot already, but is there anything else you wanted to add? I think just remembering that you need to be patient and also remembering that the things that make you uncomfortable are the things you got to be doing. And if you need to reach out for help and that makes you uncomfortable, you should be doing it um, or advice or whatever. And I think trying to connect with each other. And remembering, like I just said, no one is only going to be wearing one brand of clothing. People are going to wear all different kinds of brands of clothing. And for slow fashion brands, you know, the mission is more than just clothes. And so, you know, if we can all team up and, you know, be together and support one another, that's going to really help create a better world. Yeah, totally. So one last thing, how can everyone support you? How can everyone get in touch with you and shop past life? Let us know your links. All right. So you can follow us on Instagram at past life, the collective. Um, we're online and you can shop online at pastlifethecollective.com. And then we also have a Facebook page and a Pinterest page, just past life, the collective. 
Um, but yeah, that's it. Subscribe to our newsletter on the website and you'll receive a discount code to shop with us. And most importantly, we just love creating this community and I just want people to, you know, get involved and be active with us. So, yeah. Awesome. I'll leave all of the links in the show notes too, so people can check it out. But thank you so much for coming on, Berkeley. This was so awesome. And I think you shared a lot of great nuggets of wisdom that people will find really, really helpful. So thanks so much. Ah, Thank you. I had a great time. And that was today's episode with Berkeley. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you take a screenshot and tag us at Recloseted and also tag Berkeley at Past Life The Collective. We would love to hear your takeaways and what you got out of this episode. If you wanted to work with us on a one-on-one capacity as well, like Berkeley did, you can actually book a free discovery call with us to see if it would be the right fit. You can do so at www.readcloset.com services, and I will leave the link in the show notes. If you're thinking of getting some one-on-one consulting help, don't snooze because we only have a couple spots left for the rest of the year, and then we will be fully booked out. So make sure you jump on that if you're interested. If you haven't already, also make sure you subscribe to our podcast so that new episodes are automatically downloaded every time they are released. Lastly, it would mean the world to us if you could leave us a positive rating and review if you think we deserve it. That helps us get found and then we can really help further our sustainable fashion message. Thanks for listening and together, let's write the harmful fashion industry.